I wanted to talk about a journey with a client, Suzanne, and her dog, Romeo, that has taught me a lot of things about dogs like Romeo and how to help them. Romeo is a pocket-sized black staffy pit bull mix whose eyes were removed about a year before I met him. And Romeo was incredibly reactive to just about everything. He had been bounced around from shelter to rescue, a home, and then to Suzanne. For Romeo, less was definitely more, meaning he needed less pressure, less expectations, less corrections, less excitement, and to start at the very basics of being a dog. When I met Romeo, he was not acting like a normal dog. He was not using his nose. He was still trying to see, and he was not assessing situations accurately, like many dogs that are reactive. Suzanne was reasonably concerned, embarrassed, frustrated, and all the other emotions that go along with having a reactive dog. I needed to take less off of Suzanne, too, and start with the basics. Part of the basics was building more confidence and trust between her and Romeo, and teaching Suzanne how to help Romeo be a dog. She told me afterwards that she was happy to have someone that believed in Romeo and that was on his side. So we'll jump back to the beginning of his story. Yeah. That, uh, so Romeo's a black, uh, pity, staffy, not real sure. Didn't uh, have a DNA. The vet, we didn't do DNA, but the vet said American staffy. Yeah. Um, that has no eyes. So he definitely can't see... Although he, Romeo lost his <laughs> eyes when he was a year and a half old. Yeah. He was picked up by the city of Albuquerque with a dislocated hip and eye disease. And I'm, I don't know why to this day, other than all of his medical records say no malice, no malice, no malice. But I'm, I, I can't explain to you why um, the city decided to keep him when mm-hmm. his, um, he was microchipped, but his family never came for him mm-hmm. and they decided to keep him and treat his eyes for six weeks before yeah. they took one and then the other. Yeah. So he actually did have vision for the first year and a half of his life. Um, and then he was adopted out from the, he was rescued by a, an agency, um, which is for visually impaired dogs. And, I, I was told that he was adopted by a woman and her son, which I think that's where he had love because mm-hmm. he's a dog that absolutely has had love before. Yeah. He might have bad habits because he wasn't socialized well, mm-hmm. but he absolutely had love before. Now, they also told me he isn't a barker. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the whole, like, are you tugging on my heartstrings yeah, or, yeah. you know, to try and place the dog or... I'm not sure, and it doesn't even matter, because I saw his story online. His story was very compelling to me, and then when I met him, I was was very compelled by him, Mm -hmm. and still am. So that's how we came to be together. I don't have other animals, and although I'd like to have other animals, but right now this is a good... This is a good place for Romeo to be. Yeah. The being able to take him to work mm-hmm. has been, you know, he goes out every day. Yeah. Um, you know, he gets work, he gets exercised almost every day. I can't say every, every day, but it's a good environment for him. He's lucky he uh, got the right home. Well, um, I have a magnet that's new hanging on my refrigerator that is a pity face, and it says dogs have a special way of finding the people that need them. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I very much feel that way, that we needed each other. I didn't know. They told me he had a strong prey drive and that he wouldn't be good in a house with cats. 
but no one that's ever, probably true no one ever well yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it was I have to say that before I got Romeo I wasn't familiar with the term reactivity when it came to dogs mm-hmm. um and like I said the first time I took him to the park I was like what the hell is wrong with him? I'd never seen the likes of it. Right. You know, flipping himself on his back and trying okay, to bite my hands. Like and taking him to the park and then you're like, what did I just adopt? He needed, we needed Julie. Yeah. We needed you to find us and help figure, help sort us out. Yeah, and it, it took a village. I mean, it took a lot of trying to figure him out and watch him and figure out what was causing him to react and then figure out a way to work around that because you know it's not really your typical dog training protocol no No, it's um is just to like kind of let him do what he wants and just don't put any attention whatsoever on his collar and teach him to come uncalled i mean that's basically what we did and to follow you on the leash for a while a long think. time. Until he got really good at that. And he's really good at that. <laughs> Even when he's not leashed. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted Suzanne to do this podcast, because she is talking about Romeo from an owner's point of view. And you can tell she loves her dog, and she takes training him very seriously, but they also have a lot of fun. So now we're going to go to Phyllis and I talking about Romeo. My client, Suzanne, called me and said she had a blind pit bull and he was very reactive. So I went over to her house and I just remember, like, I just remember the barking. (laughs) Because it's been a while now. But uh, because he couldn't see, he wasn't using his nose, he was still trying to use his eyes. And so that was one of the first things I noticed was that he was following me with what would have been his eyes. And actually, since this case, I did some research and found out dogs have like heat sensing abilities with their nose, which I thought was interesting. So he may have actually been using his nose to track me, but it sure did look like he was still trying to see. Well, couldn't he see at one point in his life? He could. Yes. So I think he was. Could you imagine living, trying to see? But not being able to? See. And you could at one point. And the level of intensity. Well, yeah. And you know, Peach, of course, one of my favorite dogs in the whole world, is going blind. Um, But it's been a gradual process. She has that, um, what is it, retina atrophy. Oh, PRA. Yeah. Progressive retinal atrophy. And so for her, it's been such a gradual process. I mean, it's kind of taken two years for her to go completely blind um, that I think she had time to adjust, whereas Romeo had, they removed one eye at the shelter, and then I think they removed the other eye shortly after that, and on his shelter paperwork it says... uh, that he was friendly and he didn't have any malice towards anyone. And then he started having all this reactivity problems. And honestly, I don't think I've ever worked with a dog that barked as much as Romeo did. Like it was, he barked for, I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe the first time I was there. And 
you know, it was intermittent. Like I started to get him to calm down and had her just start walking around and, um, and got him to calm down that way a little bit. But the first thing I noticed was that whenever he felt any kind of tension on his neck, he would just go into this like overreaction and just start barking and kind of jumping up in the air. And so the first thing I had the owner do was take off the prong collar. Um, and that was within probably the first five minutes at her house. And it was funny because she was like, I had her put just a slip lead on him. And then I said, okay, take off the, the prong collar. And she's like, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You know, because you have the slip lead, like he's still safe. Right. And, um, Anyway, did I call you? I don't remember if I called you after the first session with him. I think I may have. Oh, I'm sure you did. Yeah, because he was yeah. kind of a puzzle. <clears throat> this dog was not typical. These are the and... great ones. These are the ones that we learned the most from. I know. Well, we talked a lot about him because, you know, we just kept, like, brainstorming about him and, you know, what he needed and stuff like that. And so big lesson for me. Well, I had already learned this lesson on other dogs, but you know, Romeo kind of drove it home was that a lot of times you need to remove pressure from the dog. And whether that's in the form of removing equipment or removing expectations or removing a lot of maybe obedience training, um, well, not only that, he loses his eyes and then he can't trust the human, so now he doesn't know who to trust. Yeah. Because the first thing that happens is too much pressure. Yeah. Trying to quick fix a barking problem instead of finding out why the why the barking was happening to start with. We can't correct something that the dog doesn't understand, right? Yeah. So we don't know who this dog was before he ended up in Suzanne's hands. Yeah. We only know what was said. We don't know... I mean, clearly he, he had to have some level of dog reactivity. It's too intense for that not to have been there. Correct. Doesn't mean he wasn't okay with people, but okay with people can be jumping all over people mm -hmm. in some people's eyes. So who was this dog to begin with? Yeah. You're balancing that too with when he lost his eyesight. He might have lost a lot of trust in people. A lot of things might have happened. You can't speculate, right. you know, but it could be many things. Maybe the dog never had a collar on. Maybe he only had a harness on. And then the first time somebody puts a collar on him, it's the most intense. Right. And the correction could have been heavy. You know, there's a big difference between correcting with a collar and using pressure with a collar. Right. What was done, how was it done, and what level of intensity was the dog already, you know, reactive. Mm -hmm. You don't correct reactivity in its intensity, especially if you don't have a relationship. Yeah, like just uh, removing that prong collar helped a ton. Looking at the dog holistically and talking to you after the lesson, of course, we realized the dog wasn't using his nose like ever. It kind of became the first, one of the first goals is to get him to use his nose because he was still trying to see and I think he was frustrated and he wasn't able to take in information accurately about the world and so that was causing a lot of the reactivity I think. The other thing that I did was to teach her just to get him to follow her in the park on a long line 
and yep. to teach him a really good recall, uh, but to do it without him ever hitting the end of the long line, because if he hit the end of the long line, then he would react because any pressure on this dog and it was again wasn't even put on him it was just maybe accidental kind of send him over the edge (laughs) well the long line did a lot of things one it taught him he had to use his nose to find his owner right because if you remember we just told her just walk yeah just walk just go and keep moving because he wasn't gonna go too far from her right which also started teaching him to walk next to her because mm-hmm. he was going to follow her. He wasn't going to go in front. Right. And he didn't know where he was. Long line did a lot of things. And he, you know, coming back to her, mm-hmm. remember, then he would, he learned he could go a distance. But I, I think that had a lot to do with him not feeling pressure and then inevitably learning to follow her. Yeah. We had to teach him basically to follow her without using a leash to figure out that any pressure Romeo felt on from the leash would cause reactivity, we started working on getting him to follow Suzanne. And basically we did that by saying, let's go, or telling him to come. And she would turn, and when he would follow her, he would get a treat. Romeo, let's go. Romeo, let's go. Nice. Right there, Colin. Romeo, let's go. There, nice. And even though that's a low-level distraction, it's still practice with something different. There you go. Just turn around and walk. Nice. The more confident you are with that turn, the quicker he's going to follow. Susanna and I practiced this for quite a few weeks until Romeo got super good at it. And now... All I have to do is say, let's go. And he is, boom, he comes. Like... I've never had a dog that does that. Wow, we did, we did a good job on yeah. that. Yeah. And I feel like I'm getting braver about exposing him to different mm. things. Like that you tried to kind of help us with when we were doing training, but it was scary. You know, it was scary. Yeah. And it's still scary sometimes yeah. because of his, you know, big reaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> getting better about exposing him. So I think I told you the story about taking him to the park and there was a tennis match going on. Somebody was working with a drone, and there was more dogs there than we'd ever seen. And in the olden days, I would have fled. I would have fled with him. And instead, now, I didn't march us right down to the, you know, side of the tennis court or anything like that. Mm. But there's a ravine in this particular park, and we could get to the other side of it, and we could sit, and, and what do you smell? Right. What do you hear? Yeah. Are they near you? You know, that's such, that's still such an important tool for him to use his nose because mm-hmm. if you remember he wasn't really doing that when nope. he first started working with us and if he can identify oh they're not anywhere near me then now i'm not i'm not having to struggle with him so much to um to to cut his reaction off you know mm-hmm. nip it in the bud so mm-hmm. to speak like it's not even coming up right um and we've done a fair amount of i let him um I let him go out on his training lead and I let him stand and listen when he feels like he needs to do that. And then when he comes back to me without me asking, Uh he gets a treat, Mm. you know, so he goes and he checks it out 
and and then he comes right back and then we continue on and then that's when he gets his treat it really seems like it's working for us the night before we were training out front and i had him on the training lead and i saw a dad coming with a little girl on a little tiny bicycle uh, yeah he hates bicycles and a little kid in a wagon i haven't seen him around here before and they were making a good amount of noise i, I heard him before i could see him right. and instead of fleeing you know i brought him on the side of the house right yeah and we sat there and the more and this is straight out of your mouth julie the more i can keep him on a loose leash mm -hmm. and not try controlling him by his neck right the better yeah and so i just kept having him watch me watch me yeah watch me <laughs> And the little girl's making, no yeah, and he has no eyes, so it is kind of funny, <laughs> but it works. It's the same thing, and he's, yeah. you know, so I'm, watch me, watch me, and then the little girl starts throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> right in front of your house. <laughs> well, just slightly down. But Romeo's really good. <laughs> he got through the whole thing without wow. having a meltdown. Wow. And that's huge, and yeah. that's from letting him you know, experience it and then praising him for not acting yeah. out. What I also love and makes me so happy is that Suzanne has been able to build upon what we covered in our lessons together and apply them to other situations that she's encountering in Romeo's life and having great success. When this little clip coming up, you'll hear Suzanne go, oh, because she realized someone was walking by her driveway when we were training Romeo out front. And then I tell her just to turn around and call him. And she does. And you can hear Romeo start to react a little bit. Uh, and that's only because he felt a little tension on the leash as she turned. But then he quickly followed her because she had been practicing. And this is how we taught him just to follow her without having him react. Oh. Go ahead and just walk him over there real Let's calmly. Go. Let's go. That's a good boy. Nice That's job. A good boy. That's a good boy. There we go. That's a good boy. That's a good boy. Go that way. Let's go. Let's go. Good boy. Good boy. Good job. Good, good job. I had on Romeo's rehabilitation. Phyllis's influence has taught me to always look at the dog in a more holistic fashion than just fixing the apparent issue at hand. This allows you to actually fix the underlying cause instead of just the symptoms. We trained Romeo in a little more detail. We taught him recall with food and we used a yep. ton of it and luckily he was very food motivated um, and happy to get his treats that way. It took two months and I met Suzanne at the park and I realized he was sniffing the ground, you know, sniffing around the trees and stuff like a normal dog would. And I was like, oh my gosh, Suzanne, do you realize he's using his nose? And she was like, he is. She's like, you know, he's been doing that for the past few days. Cause I, I think I worked with her once every other week. Then it was like one of the happiest days. <laughs> I was so happy for him. But that's how long it took for him to just become more dog-like. I think sometimes trainers underestimate the importance of that. They want to fix it by putting a lot of obedience or, or some kind of training on the dog. Obedience training doesn't fix behavioral stuff. It puts a Band-Aid on it. It doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't fix it. Yeah, I mean, I could have 
trained him in obedience because he would have done it because he liked his treats and he, you know, he liked that kind of activity. But it still wouldn't have helped him use his nose and learn to explore the world in an appropriate manner. And after he started using his nose, he started to take in information and became a lot less reactive. We did a lot of what I call cross-training. Sometimes we would meet at her house and work in front of her house. And he was also scared of bikes, so then I would ride a bike like back and forth in front of the house while she learned to control Romeo. Because his recall was so good and his let's go was so good, she could have him follow her away from any distractions or triggers. And then we did start teaching him sit, so he would sit and get a like treat. He really learned to trust Suzanne through this whole process. And I, I went over to her house to do an interview, and it was very cute because he started barking a little, and she's like, you know, it's okay, you need to lay down or whatever, and he did. One dog gets reactive. It's not the same as the next. Well, for sure. You know, and for me, it's like, how do you not see all the details and all the difference? The devil's in the details, isn't it? It is. I mean, like one dog that's super reactive. I'm thinking of this Doberman I've been working with the client on, and and uh, for some reason they thought the dog was fearful. And then I get to the house, and no, the dog's not fearful. She's pretty just forward and territorial and is actually almost the easiest case, I think, because, I mean, for me, I just told the dog, hey, knock it off. I was just going to say, tell her, knock it off. <laughs> change the relationship in the house so the dog's not in charge and the dog was also you know getting in between the owner and the other dogs in the house and she was barking out the windows a lot and so we changed a lot of that stuff as well i could be wrong about that but i think there were reasons for his behavior to him yeah that's what i said he might have not he was losing trust in people as he was losing his eyesight Mm -hmm. and that could mean somebody feeling sorry for him and coddling him and going, poor buddy, we're about to knock you out. We're going to take your eyes. Yeah. That dog not feeling comfortable and then humans nurturing that. It could be that and it could be harsh correction. Untimely, unfair, unnecessary discipline is much different than correcting the Doberman that wants to be in charge and is stable and, you know, being territorial, which is genetic in that breed. And the human not saying, hey, I don't need that help from you right now. Well, that he was safe anywhere. No, he wasn't. Yeah. And then his reality was true. You know, something mm-hmm. terrible happened, right? I see a lot of people wanting to do one of two things with a dog like Romeo, right? And it would depend which side of the fence your training methodologies lie as well, perhaps. People would train him using a lot of food and possibly excitement I didn't mention before, but even though we were using a lot of food, we weren't necessarily getting him excited. He was coming happily. He was participating happily, but he wasn't excited because that's the last thing you need in a reactive dog is to build excitement, in my opinion. 100% agree with that. There's like a happy state of mind, and then there's a excited, frantic state of mind. So I could see people doing that with him and he probably would have complied because he loves food but again does that build trust in the handler or trust in the environment or the dog trusting himself because dog is totally that would have created more reactivity from that dog he would have taken the food and reacted more
And also, like, how does the dog learn to trust if he's so busy doing obedience for food? Like, it kind of distracts the dog from actually dealing with reality. You know what I mean? Right, it doesn't teach the dog anything. That's what I was saying. Yeah. You're not building a relationship with the dog and teaching it something. You're just making it perform tricks in hopes that whatever bothers it is now gone because you've held a sit-stay with your food. And so also, to me, very unnatural. Dogs don't go around spitting out cookies to each other saying, hey, will you do this trick for me? Yeah. I've never seen it happen. I haven't seen them pet each other either, but, you know. They're just wandering around with a couple other dogs. They're not doing sit-stays near things that scare them or... No, they might bring each other to food, but they're not offering and expecting performance for it. They work together, but it's not It's not the same. The flip side of the coin could be someone trying to be too harsh with a dog like Romeo and just make him comply, which would also have bad consequences. I mean, he probably would have bit that person, fearful, on top of reactive. You're also talking about a breed that is bred, that when it is in an intense state, it is not to stop. That's called gameness, the willingness to continue regardless as to what is going to happen. You can heighten negative behaviors, particularly in breeds like this, if they're mismanaged. And you can actually make your problem way worse because with intensity, if your intensity is not above that, they're going to keep pressing on. We shouldn't have to match intensity with dogs to reach them. The harsh correction with a dog that's already exploding is going to make that explosion more intense because genetically he's not supposed to quit. Right. You know, it's the same thing with working dogs. If we're, we have a working partner, not a sport dog, a working partner, and we want them to comply. It's not about compliance. It's about a partnership. And they are also supposed to be intense enough not to back down or stop. Or in my eyes, they shouldn't be out there working. So you have to have an agreement versus a compulsed compliance. Doesn't mean you don't teach the dog things. The dog doesn't have to listen to you. It's different. Yeah. But it's, that's what I believe escalated him into a bite that really wasn't a serious one either. Right. Also sounds, you know, when you have a, that level bite, that's, that's a first bite, there would be a lot more damage. Because when I first met him, too, he would just kind of snap at the air when he'd feel the tension on his neck, too. Was it just <laughs> luck that he happened to graze the hand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like he was just having a, a fit almost. They know, well, they know where they're landing a bite, so that's a that's a threat, too. Back off, you know, and we don't always listen to them, either. He was warning her appropriately, actually, because she probably didn't listen to the smaller communication he was having with her. You take a dog that's dog aggressive, and you put it around other dogs, and you're going to correct it? No. To build some kind of relationship, I think, first. Yeah. With that intense of the dog, like your Doberman you were talking about, that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're stable, they, they can connect quickly, too, and trust you quicker. Unstable dogs are much more difficult to work with. And I also think Romeo's breed also has a flip side of that tendency, which is to connect with people and follow people. That is right. So did he really want to buy a human? No. Right. No, he'd rather just be left alone and hang out with the one, the humans that he trusts. We were talking about breed. Yeah. Dog is reactive and why a collar correction may not stop that behavior. The relationship with the human 
and a breed like a pit bull, if you have a good relationship, that dog is like butter. You don't have to be harsh to get the dog to follow you. Right, right. They're not difficult to handle around humans. And I'm not talking about American bullies. I'm not talking about American bulldogs. I'm talking about American pit bull terriers. Yeah. Should be very soft to human handler. But they're also, if they're in an intense state, physical correction can intensify that drive to go forward towards whatever they're going after, dog, prey. And so it's really the relationship with their owner, with the human, that they want to comply. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. Versus somebody they have no relationship with just applying a correction. It's a different type of, if anything, it should be easy. I find pit bulls very easy to work with. They're quite sensitive. I think people underestimate how sensitive they are because they have this like tough image. I also hear a lot of people referring to them as pushy. I do too, and I like don't agree with that. But that's why I was very careful to say, do people even really know that it's a pit bull? Right. I I talk to people all the time. They can't spell it. They don't know how to spell pit bull. (laughs) Every big muscular blue dog out there is definitely a pit bull. And I see more human aggression, more instability, more physical instability as well, which I think couples with it with American bullies, dual registered dogs, dual registered Amstaff pit bull crosses because they're not the same anymore. And very well-bred Amstaffs are phenomenal dogs. They were meant to be separate. That's why we gave them different names. They're not the same dog. And pit bulls can be extraordinarily intense around other dogs. And to some level, should be, versus any kind of assertiveness, dominance, pushiness, or difficulty with humans. On the contrary, they should be quite soft. Here's a little bit from Suzanne talking about how important it is to keep Romeo using his nose. Is he reactive because he doesn't have eyes and for so long he didn't use his nose? Right. Which was a huge uh, accomplishment. Absolutely. When he started using his nose and I think it took about two months. Well, and you still have to remind him sometimes. Right. Yeah. Because when he's when he starts to flip out, that's the first thing I do is sit. Okay, what do you smell? Yeah. Are they nearby? No, they're not nearby. They're not nearby. They're not anywhere near you. So you're good to go. We're yeah. good. They're not near you. So let's go. Um, taught so still taught him English as well. <laughs> I say all those words. You can laugh if you want. I say all those words. Well, I say all those words. <laughs> he probably understands it, and it probably makes you focus right yourself on, on what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's one park that we go to that has... Um, it has, there's a house on the corner across the street and it has a chain link fence and it has two pitties that run mm. the fence line and it bark at anything that moves. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really good place if I want to work right? to sit and say, are they, cl- are they, that's what I was envisioning when I yeah. told them that story. Are they close? Are they, yeah, you can hear them running, you can hear them panting, but are they, are they close? No, you can smell. They're not. Yeah. But sometimes I have to do what you taught me. <laughs> Right. Are you are you smelling? Are you yeah. you know and get him started because it's not his first thing that he goes to, which is so weird for a dog. But it's great that he will follow your lead. Yeah, he will. Even if he's like agitated. 
As we figured out Romeo and Suzanne's timing got better and she was able to prevent him from hitting the end of the leash at all, his reactions like this got less and shorter. Here we are at the park and you can hear it's mostly quiet, which is awesome, while she walks Romeo around the park. We started incorporating some obedience such as sit and down and stay, which Suzanne did an awesome job of teaching him in between our lessons. Then we could add on the obedience commands to give Romeo some clear direction about what we wanted him to do. And he also received treats for this, which he's very motivated to get. One other thing I did with Romeo was pretty much let Suzanne learn how to handle him and train him with me verbally directing her. Here Phyllis and I discuss why. I mean, think about how long it took before he could take the leash. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for Most sure. Most of us take the leash the first day, you know, but you can't always. Yeah, and with him, I felt you know? that it wouldn't have helped if I took the leash because he felt... No, she needed, you know. Yeah, he felt safer with her. I mean, I think in in a lot of senses, he did trust the owner, although she earned much more trust through the training process. That was the person he trusted the most. Yeah. And then also, yeah, I thought me taking the leash would just escalate it. And at the end of the day, the owner became a really good dog handler. I mean, her timing became like really good. She got to know her dog really well. And I think that's because I didn't actually handle the dog very much. And it was frustrating for her at times, <laughs> you know, but she, her skills improved tremendously. I mean, really, when you work with real serious dogs, you really shouldn't, in fairness to the dog and the human, for multitude of levels. What kinds of reasons? I mean, we have dogs that are bred to be territorial guardians, and then we as dog trainers are going to walk in and just slap a collar on a Neapolitan Mastiff that just bit somebody and it's four years old, and we're going to straighten it out. We're going to make sure he respects us. That kind of thing is not going to work with these types of dogs, and it certainly isn't going to help the client. They first have to understand why that dog is that way to begin with, and trainers should understand that we can also step in and make a big mistake by getting that dog to comply so quickly. Mm -hmm. And a dog that really is a bunch of noise and, and soft inside, and you get them to follow you and trust you, and then all of a sudden they are not going after dogs or people or whatever, and they think it's some kind of magic trick. We really have to teach the people why why that happens and then coach them through it. And in some cases, in serious cases, dogs need, it depends on, it depends on the dog. But those types of dogs, I don't even think they should go into training schools yeah. necessarily. If you take in a dog like that, don't you usually work with the owner for quite some time before you take the dog yes. in for board and train? Yes, till the dog trusts me with the owner. Yeah. Yeah, so the owner's already starting the process for Correct. you. I never thought, well, Romeo's kind of small, like he's a lowrider type of pit bull. I was never scared of him or or anything, but, you know, I wasn't going to set him up to bite me either, which would have been another bad thing for the owner. You know, he had already bitten Oh, and bad for the dog. Yeah, and bad for the dog, because it would have made her even more nervous of, you know, him and what he might do and all sorts of things. And I love this case for many reasons, and one was the dog, because he was such a puzzle. But the other reason is Suzanne was like a model student, 
and she worked really hard on Romeo and, and she was also willing to experiment. I was really honest with her and I said, wow, you know, I've never dealt with a dog like yours before. If you're willing to allow me to experiment a little bit and see what works for him. And also I, I told her about you, of course. I'm like, you know, I have a network that'll help me and, you know, we'll figure it out. And I think that also helped her because I think a couple trainers had told her no. Dog wasn't a threat to her. Um, yeah, which was a good, it's always a good question. If the dog was harming her, it would have been maybe a little different, but he wasn't. Um, he was great in the house and no problem. When it's he and me here alone, it's like living with a live teddy bear. Yeah. He's really good. He's never hurt anything in the house. He's yeah. never gotten into anything. He's got a lot of good things going for him. Yeah. Which kind of make up for the times that he embarrasses you <laughs> at the park. <laughs> oh, whatever. He hasn't done that in a long time. I'm really <laughs> proud of him. And the other thing is that he would never let anybody near me. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, we're out training early, and in the winter we'll be out later when it's getting dark, and and I go to a lot of different parks, and so I like knowing that um, he's not going to let anybody come up to me, no. and I'm fine with that. Yeah. I think it's important for trainers and dog owners to realize that this kind of progress takes time. It's not something that's going to be fixed in two weeks or a couple lessons. Uh, to really modify Romeo's behavior took quite some time. That is normal, actually. You actually have to build new neuropathways in the brain for the dog to form a new habit. I think it's important to realize this so you know that it is a journey and that you aren't failing if it doesn't happen right away. He had to build up his skills. So this is all, like, this is the whole life continuance of his yeah, it is. His progress. Yeah, it is. It's pretty scary back I mean, in the day. You know, like it was pretty he scary. Have, he wouldn't have done well. So, and there was so many times that you know you leave a park and and people are, you know, staring at you and wondering what's wrong with your dog because he's making ungodly noises and you're dragging him out, you know, because he's trying to get to them so he can, yeah. you know, do whatever mayhem he wants to do. Yeah. Um, it was scary for me. It was scary for them. Yeah. It was scary all around. I do think there's a lot to be said about his confidence and about my confidence too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, like, he freaking loves going to the park. Yeah. And that's different. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to see. Dog doing exactly what a dog is meant to do. Yeah. That he can go and enjoy himself and be in the sun and roll in the grass and um, sniff and pee and all the things that a dog is supposed to do. It's, it makes me so happy and it makes me feel like it's all worthwhile. It's all been, it's all been worthwhile. It is an amazing journey because we're still learning. I've practiced since then, um, just in the work that we do in the park of not really, really getting the lessons that you tried to instill in us in not pulling on him in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I've, really dedicated myself to you know some other way there's some other way to get around that whether it's moving my body moving his body he's got a super good recall um he's got a super good recall and so that has served us well so i can switch directions you know as soon as i see something coming so that's a much better way to do it than to try and pull him into submission yeah it's just it doesn't work well with him yeah no so it doesn't 
Here's Suzanne talking about an experience in a park with an inconsiderate dog owner that caused her some issues with, with Romeo. Romeo. In a park early in the morning, it was cold, it was starting to get chilly, so uh, when the fall was starting, and I was using the training lead, which I love, but when it gets wet in the dew of the grass, mm. it, it's, my hands are slippery, oh, and yeah. then my hands are cold. Yeah. And then this guy had a loose dog, and I've oh, seen this guy in the that. park before. He kind of followed us one day, but it was at a distance, but he was definitely watching the training that we were doing. Well, this time he had his dog loose, and he was an older guy, and as she came up to us, I was saying, get your dog, right. get your dog, yeah. get your dog, and he started mansplaining to me <laughs> about my dog, and then, so then, so at this point, Romeo's doing the thing where he's flipping out, uh -huh. and he's jumping in the air, and, and I was worried that I was going to let go of the leash, because right. it was slippery, and my hands were cold, and so I grabbed him by the by the back of the collar and then the guy really went into well you see how you're making him more aggressive by doing that and when I got to work my boss said well did you say would you like me to let him go yeah that would have been the appropriate question to ask but I don't think quickly on my feet I don't either it was a painful lesson because that's you know it was making him more aggressive mm -hmm. it, but yeah. I was scared I was going to lose him yeah. I didn't know what else to do and I was trying to protect the whole situation what I really wanted him to do was just get his dog and get away from us I don't care that Ginger likes to say hello to everybody <laughs> in the park we don't want to say hello to Ginger so that was kind of a painful you know I had to look at that and I wished I had handled it in a different way this is incident Suzanne describes is so similar to so many people's encounters with thoughtless dog owners at parks, on the street, public places, etc. It's not about your dog and if your dog is friendly or not. For one, there's a leash law. And for two, maybe the person your dog is going up to or the dog your dog is going up to is really struggling and really trying their best to train their dog to behave better. And if you allow your dog or yourself to interfere in that process, you're just making their life more difficult. If they ask you to stay away, just stay away from their dog. I just keep telling him, you yeah. know, you could go anywhere with me if you weren't such an asshat. <laughs> Like today we were down in the valley and I was like, you could be going if you were, you know, if you wouldn't make a fool of yourself. Yeah. But. Well, he has his limits and it's important to um, acknowledge those as well. Well, and it does look different than other dogs that I've had. It looks different. Yeah. You know, it's not the same. I, you know, I've always shared dogs with my sister and she won't have anything to do with him. Right, right. And so I... You know, it looks different, but is it okay? It is okay. Yeah. And I have my community of support. I have you. I have our wonderful person that does my kennel um, that just thinks he's about as special as they come. <laughs> and how nice is that? Yeah. You know? It just looks different than what I thought it was going to look like. But is it, am I disappointed or do I feel like I'm missing out? Mostly no. Yeah. I would take him out. Like, I would have had him down at Los Poblanos this morning. I would have had him down there with us. Um, that's the only thing, is that I would take him more places. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, I have one dog I can take anywhere. Very outgoing and stuff. But, And then I have Chardonnay, who's kind of a, 
higher energy, so she's not as easy to just relax. She's always busy and yeah. wants to say hi to everyone. She won't just, you know, lay down as yeah. easily. And then I have the two fearful yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, they don't go places. They don't go to bars with me and right. things like that because they wouldn't enjoy it either. No. And then I can't enjoy it. Exactly. He wouldn't enjoy himself, and I wouldn't enjoy myself either. So no. it's just not something I can do. No. That'll be my next dog. When I'm at home, you know, or when we're out at the park, I mean, he's just as lovely and enjoyable. And um, thanks to all the training that we've done and all the training that we're still doing. Yeah. Well, and I was mentioning you this weekend as well because um, these two dogs that were there are actually, uh, they're foster dogs, so they're in rescue. Oh. And the foster people are very committed but they need to up their game to make the dogs successful right and it's you know it's not knowledge most people would have it might take them a while like you know so I was talking about you and how long it took really to till you felt really I think comfortable with what we were doing and that he would do what you needed him to and yeah, so I hope they can work on it. And I said, you know, it takes a lot of work, but they can become really good dog handlers for these dogs. For sure. And then they can move on and help with other dogs because then they have the skills. Absolutely. You know, so. I'm bad about my expectations. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm bad about expectations. And, hey, Romeo, you're all right. You're okay. I'm right here. Have it now. I just wanted to add that this would not have been possible when Susanna and I first started working with Romeo, that she was able to just tell him to chill out during our interview and he settled back down. I think that, you know, (laughs) letting go of the expectations again, you know, that that's, I'm not going to get to do that with this dog. And there's very few things that I'm not going to get to do. I mean, we're already so much further than we were. Yeah. Um, But I think it's going to be a lifelong thing for him. I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where like, okay, there, we're done. Did I know what I was getting into when I signed up for, well, a dog with no eyes? I mean, I don't know how big of a part that plays in it. I think the reactivity is a lot bigger deal than the no eyes. It's interesting how I made those choices, and yet I did have very high expectations. Here, Suzanne and I are talking a little bit about using food with Romeo and how it can help him expand his world a little bit. And actually, I don't use food that much, but I did with him because he was so motivated by it. And it it just, I mean, it worked because I don't think he was overly excited. He would just do what you want with a little gusto. Yeah, you know, but he wasn't like losing his mind for the food you were giving him, so it I, worked really well. It's good when it can be little, little tiny bites. I don't like to give him big things because <laughs> he'll just go through it. Right. I also think sometimes he's oh, if you don't have a treat, I'm not interested in you. Not so much with me, but with other people, like at work. If mm-hmm. you if you don't have a treat, I'm not really all that interested in you. No. Yeah. Um. Well, and that's okay. We had a workshop up in Las Vegas at the shelter, and I took Tipton, who's my feral dog, from there as an example. And, you know, I've had him almost two years now, so he's he's 
okay around strangers. He's not crazy about them, but, and they were all dog trainers, right? So we were just sitting around the table and I realized Tipton's going from one person to the other to get treats or little pieces of their dinner under the table. It was okay with me because he's learning that approaching people is okay. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing and all that. Now, will he trust them and run off with them? No. No. You know, but it lessened his fear about all of that. There's so few people that can physically interact with Romeo. Mm -hmm. There's only a handful that can physically... You've never touched him. I mean, you've you've, you've had him on a leash and stuff, but you... you, I haven't, like, petted him him or anything, no. And so there's there's very few people that can do that. There's a lady at work that um, shall remain nameless that just (laughs) thinks he's fabulous. She gets a treat when she comes in, Mm -hmm. and then when we leave... She can pet him. She yeah. can love on him. I like for him to be able to be touched and handled. And I think it's good for him to not just be touched mm-hmm. and handled by me. Oh, yeah. But he will do almost anything for a treat. And that has helped me. I have been so impressed by his bravery. Like that he'll, because he'll literally be shaking. But he's listening to me. Yeah. He's listening to me. And he, at, he could be just flipping out. Right. And he may be shaking, yeah. But he's he's trying as hard to do what I'm asking him to do, yeah. And I just think that that's it impresses me that he's that you know he's gotten that brave, yeah. My best girlfriend in Northern California, her kids just adopted well not just but I would say in the past year they just adopted Ghost and Ghost is a white shepherd and has no eyes, and sweetest as the day is long, yeah. no reactivity None. whatsoever. Yeah. I'm like, well, well, that's so much for his whatever. excuse. Then. No excuse. <laughs> whatever. So I'm not well, having to deal with the reactivity. Yeah. Sometimes you would swear that Romeo has eyes mm-hmm. because of the way he moves and stuff. Yeah. Um, the article that you sent me recently about from Science yes. Magazine about dogs being able to sense heat was fascinating to I me. I read that and I'm like. That's, that's Romeo. That's how he knows things. <laughs> but it's not just like people, because sometimes I'll see him head right toward a wall and then dodge mm-hmm. like, and make a sharp left turn or a sharp right turn to avoid it. It's, it's the darndest thing you would swear he has eyes. And in his case, he still blinks and stuff. If I'm sitting quietly and observing him, he still blinks. Yeah. So it's a um, it's hard to say which came first the the reactivity or the the vision loss. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he was always that way. Don't you say he hunts lizards? Oh no, <gasps> he has hunted lizards. I haven't seen him do that for a while. I kind of forgot that, but he will. And I don't know if it's sound or maybe it's the heat of it, smell or heat. But they're cold blooded. Right, right. So, so but I've they... seen him like pounce, pounce, pounce at them. Um, so how, how does he know that? I, know. I remember asking them when they brought him over the first time, do I need to wear a bell or, <laughs> and they're like, no, he'll, he'll know where you are. He'll know where you are. That's but funny. I, sometimes uh, like a cat. Sometimes, sometimes I can, like if I'm in the corner of the kitchen and he comes running out from the back, he's like, where'd she go? Where'd she go? Yeah. And he, he does misplace me from time to time. One of the challenges with dogs like Romeo is where to leave them when the owners need to go on vacation. So Suzanne was lucky enough to find a kennel nearby 
that was willing to give Romeo the time he needed to settle in and visit until he was comfortable enough to stay there overnight. And here is Suzanne talking about that. The kennel was a really good example of how long it takes to get him used to things. Mm -hmm. I called three different kennels. This was the only kennel where she said, bring him with you. And I said, you don't understand about Romeo. And she said, no, bring him. She said, we will sit in the lobby for an hour and he can sit with us while we chat. And so that's what we did. And then the next time I sat in the front and chatted with her and then he went in the only kennel that he's ever been. And she always saves the first kennel for him for an hour and then the next time I left him and he spent the morning there and we did that twice and then we spent two days and then we did overnight and um, progressed from there to where this summer when I had the opportunity to go to Puerto Vallarta I was able to do that at first it took her a while and she would sit outside the kennel and she would let him smell her breath because mm. that's something he really likes is mm. to be able to smell somebody's breath that that's that's important to him. Um, but she would, you know, give him treats and let her smell her breath and just take his, her time with him to where now she can handle him with no yeah. problem. She yeah. can handle him and she can um, she can take him outside to go potty and he can walk himself out when I go to pick him up. But when I came back from Puerto Vallarta, it was the first time that she said, you sit here on the bench in the lobby. He walked himself out from the kennel. He had mapped, <laughs> he had mapped the kennel. But then when we got home, the map for home had slipped. I remember how traumatic it was for me to leave him at the kennel. Right. And you telling me that it would be good for him. Yeah. And I truly think it has been. Yeah. Because we found the right fit. Yes. Now, it took some time to find the right fit. That's so rare to find someone that. It's very rare. But she does it because she's helped the dog that much. She's a very unusual person. I like the way that she approached him, and and but it's very rare. I mean, I'll never mm-hmm. find that again. Yeah. But it's, it, it has been good for him to go. Yeah. You know, and good yeah. for him to come home and realize that mom is still going to be here. Yeah. Kennel owners, special needs dogs is a big thing. I would think so. I mean, charging for that extra time, but still doing a good job, I think, is totally be a good service to offer. Absolutely. Everything can be a training exercise if you you let it. You know, and sometimes you're in a hurry and you don't want to do it. But even that can be, you know, like we're not running around in the morning. You come and you sit and then mama puts a leash on you and we get ready to go. Because he doesn't wear his leash or his collar in the house. And so, you know, we get dressed in the morning. So you come and you sit. We don't, I'm not chasing you through the house (laughs) trying to have that happen. So it's a thing that we do. And the structure is really important. The structure has always been important to my dogs. Yeah. And even more so with him. Right. Even more so with him. For sure. He, He likes that structure. Yeah. And he's good with it. He's much better with me. And remember way? how he like he would hear my voice and he'd just bark. <laughs> well, you made us do a lot of stuff, Julie. <laughs> I think it was like an imprint with him. Like he, I meant to bark because when I first met him, it took a long time a to long get him time. to not bark. Yeah, it did. Whenever he would first meet me, he would kind of lose it. Yeah. Um, but he didn't do too bad today. He didn't do too all. bad. I figured he would. But he had a good walk this afternoon. Yeah. You know, a it run. Didn't, it didn't matter. He would still lose it. If well, he, he would still lose it. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like now, yeah. he's, he's quiet. You know, he's, when we're sitting here at night, he's quiet. If he hears something, he'll let you know. Although he's snoring. 
Well, I'm charmed by his snoring. Here Phyllis and I are talking about how we introduce pressure back into the leash so Romeo could receive guidance from the leash without barking and going into a frenzy. Remember how you introduced pressure back into the leash? It took a while. Months, I think. <laughs> I think I worked with Suzanne and Romeo like six months. And it was probably wasn't until the fourth month that he could feel any kind of pressure. And I think it just kind of happened because we used a shorter leash. And I think he just gradually over time, you know, and uh, human error and stuff, he just, we just kind of added it back in. Yep. But I mean, that dog had a great recall and her timing got really good because she had to watch the long line and say, Romeo, let's go or call him to her before he hit the end of it. You came out to visit for some reason, and we met at the park <laughs> with Chardonnay, and you were yep. you were handling Chardonnay, and I was with Suzanne and Romeo. There was a little bit of reaction from him in the beginning, which was part of you wanting to do that, because yeah. you wanted to be able to get closer to a dog and the dog not just leave, which is a big problem for working reactive dogs anyway, because if you're in public, the dog they're going after just goes away. And then that works for them. There, and then I believe we closed in distance and we took a walk. At the end. Yeah, I we think... We walked around the park. Yeah, I think maybe you we know? were like 10 feet apart. Maybe? Yeah, maybe less. Because we were able to talk. Yeah. We did the same thing. You were able to bring bring another dog around and got him to go on a walk with us. Yeah. But I think there was one initial bark thing. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't call it an explosion, but yeah, definitely reaction. I'm sure. But he came off it pretty quickly. He he learned. And then you actually took the leash. And now, now that I'm thinking back about it, you took the leash. I did because when he we were started. Gonna, uh, yeah. He started yeah, being naughty. Yeah, he did react. And we walked, worked him out of it, and then brought Suzanne back into it. Mm -hmm. We move a little bit. Yeah. We couldn't just stay there, you know? And by then, I had done some obedience work with him and we gradually went from using the long line to a leash and he had to heal at her side and he couldn't kind of have as much freedom because you know you can't take a dog everywhere on a long line that's just not practical <laughs> so um, I think we had him on a six-foot leash at that point so she had been working on on heel and he was very challenging for her at first on that and I set up some cones in the parking lot and you know just had her do left turns that was a really frustrating lesson for her because he wasn't paying attention to her he wasn't following no yeah. he wasn't following her and he was kind of being a, a little butthead actually she worked on it and the next time she rocked it yeah, in two weeks awesome. she she had him healing right by her side she was doing left turns and all sorts of things. I was kind of drilling her like you used to do to me during that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> On left turns, or that's the way to teach a dog to stay in the right spot. You know, dog just cannot touch you. Yeah. And you don't touch the dog, right? Yeah. And why are left turns also important? Taking the dog space. You taught me that trick. <laughs> you want to be able to turn left you into know. the dog without running into the dog. You know, you can make it fun for the dog so the dog can 
you know, kind of how fast can you swing your butt back right. out of the way and look up at me at the same time and have a good time doing that. It's not about putting a lot of pressure on the dog necessarily. You teach them what you want and then you can make light of it with some dogs and they'll have fun. We Molly, like Rottweiler. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's who I had you work up and down the driveway. Right? Oh, yeah. Like there was a whole progression to this training process. And so the first thing I had to get him to use his nose and then we could shorten the leash up. And then he got used to feeling the leash so he wouldn't react as badly. I couldn't even use a six-foot leash on this dog to begin with. It was... Oh, God, no. Because it was... He would just go bananas because he would just keep feeling all the the tension. Those exercises kind of made his ability to heal not great, right? <laughs> because he was used to having more freedom. But then we just had to teach him to heal he knows the word now and he can feel if the leash is short or if he has freedom. I think she tells us she has the release word, but that may have been where he learned to deal with feeling a little bit of leash tension. And again, we really didn't, I didn't use any corrections really with him. It was more just holding the leash and he just would learn where his bubble was that he could be and not feel tension on it but it was also you know Suzanne I think just having more confidence in herself and kind of taking the lead role in that because he's blind he needs someone to lead him and I think she finally felt real confident doing that too I think we did that lesson before we introduced Chardonnay oh Um, you did yeah for sure yeah because then when he started getting naughty and reacting I, I put him through a little healing back and forth to kind of make him pay attention to me versus whatever he was reacting at. Yeah, but you were careful with it too. You didn't just start changing directions and trying to make him follow you. You actually did, you stepped out wide and brought him in, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And then instead of pulling back on the leash, or pulling up on the leash. What do you mean? You know, you stepped sideways to bring him back to you. Oh, yeah. When he was trying to leave, you yeah. know. And brought him with you and kind of angled yourself down, which aligned you more with the dog and got him to follow you. Yeah. That's, and and then you were able to tighten that up. It also enables you to move forward and not just keep making turns, you know, because turns put more pressure on the dog too. For a while, she took him to park a new park every day because we didn't also want him to only get used to one park. Correct. Um, Yeah, absolutely. we, We wanted her to be able to take him to several places. I know for a while. know where he is. He was likely to follow more. Yeah. To expand his world a little bit. <laughs> so Suzanne didn't only have to go to the same park <laughs> the entire life of the dog. I just remember how, how dedicated Suzanne was. Yeah. And how much patience she had. You know, both with, with the dog and with you. Sometimes people expect miracles. Some dogs need more time. You know, you People talk all the time, they want to rescue the dog, and they really want to rescue the dog. Well, sometimes it can be intense, and they need extra help. And that can be the case with the dog you buy, too. There are dogs with special needs out there, and he's one of them, and got lucky. Yeah, yeah, he did. He got very lucky. He got a good team on his side. Of course, this was a lot of work, working with him, and... You know, of course, you get frustrated if he has a bad day and he starts barking a lot. And, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, 
<laughs> is this ever gonna to work? I don't know if I'm the right person for him. Um, oh gosh. You know, and I said, well, I think you are. And I said, he doesn't really have anywhere else he could go, honestly, with all of his issues. And I said, you know, Suzanne, worse comes to worse. He stays in your house and your nice backyard and he has a very small world and he'd be totally happy with that. I said, but I think we can do more with that. And I think that took a lot of pressure off of her because like just talking about worst case scenario, like what does that look like? And then she's like, oh yeah, that is the worst case scenario. And that's better than a lot of dogs have is that he'd live in a nice cushy house with a nice bed, great food, lots of attention. And he's super cute. And I don't know, it was just a fun case. And I, there were a lot of lessons in there. I think I really learned a lot. Yeah, we learned with most of them, but dogs are the ones that teach us the most anyway. Yeah. But these are the good ones, you know? He and I are so bonded that I know that he feels, you know, the the um, contentedness coming off me mm-hmm. and that that just adds to his confidence yeah. and his contentedness coming off him adds to my confidence. It's right. like a, it, instead of being a negative circle, like it was in the very beginning, it's definitely a, a, a self-reinforcing yeah. thing. I think it's a positive snowball. It absolutely is. And he knows his directions. I've taught him left and I've taught him right. <laughs> and so he can, he, he knows how to, he knows how to do that. He's not very good at doing it in a new situation. Mm-hmm. But the getting the prong collar off um, was the first huge, that was the first huge thing that we did yeah. together, you and I and Romeo. And um, that made a huge difference. <laughs> but when I think where we've come, Julie, oh my gosh. Yeah. We've come a long way, thanks to you. Yeah. Yeah. Here are some closing thoughts from Phyllis and I. She's taught him right, left, step up on a curb. You know, she, we always joke that she's his seeing eye person. Um, <laughs> I remember hearing you say that, yeah. 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 You know, but... Well, but, she is. Yeah. You know? But he, he, he is totally okay with that, which is very cute. So I just wanted to recount some of the lessons that I learned working with Romeo. One was to really get a dog to use its nose and become a dog first helps facilitate and make all the training that will come in later much easier. It lessened his reactivity immensely and allowed us to teach him obedience and gave Suzanne the tools to help Romeo assess his environment properly. Also, the removal of the prong collar helped him calm down. And I just want to reiterate, I'm not against prong collars at all. I do use them. But for Romeo, it was absolutely the wrong tool. And I think as trainers, we need to be open to change tools if we recognize that it's not working for that dog. And also, I just wanted to thank Suzanne and her investment in Romeo Working with her was an absolute pleasure, and she was so invested in her dog. Suzanne and Romeo's story also represents how you can have structure and train your dog, but also have a lot of fun and a great connection with your dog. And I really appreciate her taking the time out 
to share her thoughts and her side of this journey with me during this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. Phyllis and I teach workshops in many locations about training dogs according to temperament. I also teach workshops about fearful dogs. You can find more information about that on my websites, rescuedogsresponsibly.com and hearttoheartcanine.com. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope this was educational, but also inspirational to those that may be struggling with a reactive dog.
you know, she, we always joke that she's his seeing eye person. Um, <laughs> I remember hearing you say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but well, but, she is. Yeah. You know, but he 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 is totally okay with that, which is very cute. 